everybody. It's good to have you in church this morning. I'm just, uh, yeah, great. Uh, super. Well, good to have you in church this morning, and you're very welcome to the service. And uh, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, I know many people uh, won't uh, be celebrating that outside, but let us do it inside in the service here as we begin our Holy Week uh, celebration. I was reading um, a story in Matthew's Gospel this morning, and and it's the story of the lady uh, who broke the expensive jar of perfume and poured it over Jesus. And you remember the contrast that Matthew sets up is that he, the disciples criticize her, uh, and, uh, but Jesus praises her. And he says this, you know, she has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And the challenge in my reading was, what beautiful thing will I do, and what beautiful thing will you do for Jesus this day or this week? What will be loving? What will be costly? What will be significant? What beautiful thing will you do for Jesus for all that he has done for you? So as we begin our Holy Week, as we uh, begin to worship and praise our great Savior, uh, let's do it in these words, in the cross of Christ I glory and Hosanna in the highest. Let's worship Jesus. Well, let's continue in our worship and in our joy as we talk to God now. Let us pray. Let us all join in prayer. Father, it is great to be able to be with God's people. It is great to enter into the excitement and the joy of Palm Sunday. And Father, as we do so, we acknowledge Jesus and we acknowledge who he is, the Son of God, uh, truly human. And Father, we acknowledge that he came willingly and knowing what would happen to him. And we, we, we praise you that he came humbly riding on a donkey to Jerusalem where he knew that he would be handed over to be crucified for our sins. And Father, we also rejoice in the glory of the cross of Christ. And Father, today we will be looking at what the cross achieved, the beauty of words like atonement and redemption and justification and imputed righteousness. And Lord, we may not fully understand what those things mean, But we do know that because of what Jesus has done, that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be declared righteous and that we have been given access through a torn curtain into the very presence of God himself. Father, we are called your children because of what Jesus has done for us. And Father, so I pray that you would help us to rejoice in our hearts and to know the truth of this and to walk humbly and joyfully in that truth. So Father, as we come, we are conscious again of our sinfulness. We're conscious that we're not what we should be, that we don't say what we should, we don't do what we should, 
that we don't think what we should, and Father, we despair at times. And Father, we shouldn't ultimately despair, of course. We should come to you and say that we're sorry. And so we do that this morning. And we're sorry for our sinfulness, and we pray for your forgiveness. And we pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit, that we might be renewed in true fellowship with you. So, Father, thank you for the joy of this particular day. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to learn about Palm Sunday and about the glory of the cross. And we pray that you will be with us as we do so. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to read Mark chapter 11. I think Ethan's going to come and do that. So Mark chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 1, page 1015. Yeah, it's Mark chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1, reading to verse 11, and it's page 1016 in your Bibles. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the streets tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the roads. Many others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. And now if any of the kids want to come up to the front, uh, we're going to have our children's talk now. Is that working now? Okay, perfect. So, was everyone listening to the story? Yeah? Are you sure? Oh, you don't look very confident. Um, okay, so I hope that you were listening because actually I'm going to need your help to tell the story, okay? I'm going to need a couple of volunteers, actually. I think eight people. <laughs> okay. okay, I see two so far. That's good. So, who wants to be number one? Miguel? Take that. Yeah, you can sit there. Um, ba -ba -ba. I need the second one. Is this one? Second volunteer? Come on. I want you to hold these. What is that? What is that? You'll find that soon. 
Um, I want to have another volunteer. There you go. Yeah, that's right. You need to be in order because we're going to tell the story, okay? So get in order. Uh, ba -ba -ba. The next one. There you go. Um, I need one of these as well. Okay, someone else? Dylan. There you go. You can put that around your neck if you want, that's okay. And let me see. I need someone else. Go, Matthias. Need someone else. Yeah, take this one. I guess it's down here, yeah, exactly. And I think I need one more person. I need someone, someone who likes to look angry. Anyone? You like to look at me? You're already Jerusalem. You can't be that. Okay, Lisa, you can go there. Perfect. So you are going to be... Let me just check where you're going to be. Uh, you are going to be after... Between here. Between these two guys here. You're going to be here. Okay? You'll see. You'll see. Okay. So... Do you know what this is? Jerusalem, exactly. So every time that you hear Jerusalem in the story, I want you just to stand up and show it to everyone, okay? Perfect. Okay. Do you know what these are? Olives, yes. So there's a place, there's a place in the story called the Mount of Olives. So when you hear olives, I want you to stand up and show that, okay? Perfect. Not yet, not yet. Perfect. You have Jesus plus two. So this is Jesus and his two disciples. So whenever you see that, I want you to stand up and show that, okay? And what is this? This is a donkey, right? So in the story, we have a word which is a cult, which is a young donkey. So whenever you hear cult, I want you to, to stand up and show that, okay? It's okay, you can get some help. Don't worry. Okay, and what's this? A tie, exactly. So anytime you hear, you hear the word tie, I want you to show that, okay? Perfect. So you have a special job, okay? So you're going to act like you're kind of angry, kind of disapproving. So whenever you hear some people, you're going to stand up and just look like you're kind of angry, you know? Wag your finger, look disapproving, okay? Uh, you have Hosanna. So this is the normal Hosanna, okay? So whenever you hear Hosanna just by itself, I want you, to, want you to show that, okay? And this one, this one is actually the special Hosanna, okay? So whenever you hear Hosanna in the highest, you have to lift it up, but make sure that you lift it up much higher than this Hosanna, okay? Because it's in the highest, okay? So let's go. We're going to try it. So this is Jesus and the two disciples. Okay? It's okay. I, I will help you. Don't worry. It'll be okay. Okay. So we're going to go for it. Okay? Everyone's ready? So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Yeah, hold on. 
Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt. Yeah, well done. Tied there, <laughs> which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. So they went and found a colt. This one here. Perfect. Outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying the colt. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the roads, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. There we go, really high. Well done. So Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, well done. You can go back and sit here. Yeah, you can leave that there. That's okay. I'll tidy it up later. Don't worry. So yeah, you guys go back into them. Yeah, you can leave that there. That's okay. Yeah, you can leave it there. That's okay. So, guys, out of all of that, what was your favorite part of the story? Which part? The first bit. And what happened in the first bit? Jerusalem. You like Jerusalem? Okay, did anyone else have a favorite part? Putting up the thing high. And what was the thing that you put up high? Hosanna, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, actually, that's great because that was also my favorite part, Hosanna. And I'll tell you why. So Hosanna was a way of giving praise to a leader or a king. But actually, what the word actually means is, save us, O Lord. And so all of these people who were lining the streets, they were really, really excited because Jesus was coming. And do you know why they were excited? Because they thought that Jesus was going to save them. But actually, they didn't really understand what Jesus was going to save them from. They thought that maybe he was going to come and save them from the big bad Romans who had conquered them and who were ruling over them. But actually Jesus had a much, much better plan than that. He was going to save them from their sins. Do you remember what sins are? Bad things, yeah. Bad things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have bad things and what else? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Do you remember, Miguel? Exactly, well done, well done. That's great. 
So those are the things that Jesus was going to save us from. So whenever we think about the story, the one thing that I want you to remember is Hosanna. Because today, do you remember which day it is today? Palm Sunday, exactly. And what's going to happen one week from now, do you know? Easter, exactly. So now is a day of preparing for Easter. So whenever you think of Hosanna, Hosanna, you think of Jesus is going to save us and what he's going to save us from. Because in one week, whenever we have Easter, that's when we're going to be celebrating that Jesus has, celeb- that Jesus has saved us from our sins. Okay? So that's, that's really what I want you to remember, Hosanna. And whenever you think of that, think about what Jesus has saved us from. Okay? So now we're actually we're going to sing another song. And guess what it's going to be called? Hosanna. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Ethan. Well, boys and girls, you're free to go um, for Sunday Special and K2 today. Well, it was funny, actually, when uh, uh, Ken was saying about uh, remembering this song when you were young. I was back in Ballycastle, and uh, I could see the, our church there, and we used to count the organ pipes, you know, and uh, I think there's 53 of them in Ballycastle if you are ever there in that church. Um, but we didn't sing it that way, Ken. That was good. We'll have to keep doing it that way. That's super, uh, and I think it sort of has the joy, hasn't it, of the day that we're celebrating today. Folks, if you're visiting with us, and I know that there are a few visitors, you're very welcome, and uh, we hope to get to know you after the service, sign our visitor's book. There's tea and coffee afterwards downstairs, and we would love to chat with you as well. As you see, we're starting uh, uh, our announcements now. We're just looking at this sheet here. Um, We are having our Easter outreach on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Uh, Joe Donnelly is our speaker. Uh, We've got the title, Transformation. You'll see the poster at the front and the banner as well. Um, And there are invitations um, as well to be given out. And we're going to give out hot cross buns and just explain about the cross on those. And if you want to help, you'll be uh, really welcome uh, from the morning time to about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we'll have our services. So we'll be on the street on Wednesday and Thursday um, from about 10 or half 10 Uh, through to one or two. Uh, We'll see how it goes. We also have uh, a new thing this year. We've got fridge magnets which have uh, been produced. So come and join the celebration. Jesus is alive. And then it gives some information about Adelaide Road and the website. The website has been updated. um, And I suppose we would just want to encourage you to take one, uh, give them to a friend, uh, put them on your own fridge as well, and, and pray that you might be able to pass them out as well. Uh, as well. So we have those as well, and I think there's some here. Uh, Cynthia and Aderval have those, and they'll be either here or out there. We'll, we'll go outside with those. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Easter Sunday, we'll have a family service here at 11 o'clock. Uh, we'll finish this little series on the cross, uh, but we'll make it a family type service uh, as best we can. 
If you've come and want to be prayed for or to pray about things, well then, we have our little prayer table here, and uh, uh, people will just confidentially pray for you, and we want to encourage you to avail of that. There's no international cafe this Friday, uh, because it is Good Friday, um, and there is a mistake here, and it's entirely my uh, fault. Um, I didn't think we were meeting on the 26th of April, but we are. Uh, so there's no cafe uh, Good Friday, but there is a cafe the next Friday, which is not the 3rd of May, it's the one before that. And there is a cafe on the 3rd of May as well. So do uh, come. We've been having uh, good numbers and uh, building up a good uh, rapport with people. That's been great. Living Well is on uh, the, the week after Easter, um, and I, it's at George and Vernus in Rathmichael. And you can get further information from Heather. Uh, we have a spring cleaning day for the sound equipment, um, and all worship group members are asked to attend, and anyone who would want to help as well. Um, and then those other announcements that we've had before. Um, I want to, um, it is with sadness this morning that I announce to you the death of Dr. John Reed of 16 Palmerston Park, uh, who died on Friday last after a long illness. And just to put it in context, John was an engineer and a, a builder, a man who knew property, and this building and its, uh, the whole project very much depended upon his expertise. To his wife Jenny, his children Sheila, Bobby, Heather and Jack, we extend our love, sympathy and prayers. And the funeral will take place on Thursday this week at 2 p.m., followed by burial in Mount Jerome Cemetery. So that's here in the church at 2. And we will commit the family uh, to God in prayer later in the service. So let's continue to worship God as we uh, again sing joyfully about what the cross achieves in that we are reconciled to God. We have peace with God. We're called children of God. So let's stand and sing this. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Folks, if you have your Bibles, do open them at Romans chapter 3. Uh, for me, it's page 1130. It must be close to that. As you're looking that up, I forgot to say that we've just received uh, some copies of 30 Days of Prayer for the Muslim world. And uh, we'll be praying, uh, want to be praying for that, the Muslim uh, community. Uh, as they celebrate Ramadan, which is from the 6th of May to the 4th of June. So there's just a few copies out there. You're welcome to take them uh, and use them on a daily basis during Ramadan just to pray for different uh, communities and people uh, in the Islamic uh, community there. So let me just read this passage to you. And uh, uh, this is uh, Paul in his argument of what the gospel is. Uh, he's argued, I think, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, just about our guiltiness and uh, about how God will punish us for that guilt. Um, but he has these amazing words, doesn't he, in verse 21, but now. That's, that, I think, is the key, isn't it? But now. There's hope. And what is that hope? Let's hear God's word. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, a propitiation. And you'll see at the bottom there that it says, one who would turn aside his wrath. So God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On on that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Let us pray. Father, I pray that as we look at this important topic this morning, that you will help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. And we thank you for the truths that it contains. So we pray for your help and the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think there's a PowerPoint there, isn't there? Um, I don't have the thing. So yeah, let's go on to the next one. Um, So folks, we're in a courtroom. And uh, that's the picture that I want you to kind of keep in mind. Uh, We're talking about the ideas of justice and all of that. So just to bring that into your consciousness, um, uh, if you just listen to the news, and I, I want us to think, I suppose, with, with, with each other, that we want justice, don't we? we? We actually need justice in our world. So the person of Julian Assange has become headline news this week. Different authorities want him for different things. If you don't know who he is, he's the founder of WikiLeaks, and how, uh, and, but what they are concerned about is how he sourced his information. And so the question at heart is one of guilt. Has he done anything wrong? Has he done anything wrong in Sweden? Has he done anything wrong in the United Kingdom? Has he done anything wrong in the United States of America? And if so, they want him punished. Justice is expected. Karen and I have also taped and been watching the new BBC drama, The Victim, We missed the last episode, so don't tell us how it finished. Which is about a mother cruelly robbed of her son by a vicious child killer. And her quest for exposing the person she believes to be guilty. She is so desperate for justice. And we won't maybe pray for this person here. Uh, This is uh, Safar. He's from Pakistan. He's one of the Lenten Project guys um, and girls in uh, the Church in Chains. He is accused of having blasphemed the Prophet Muhammad's mother. The problem is that the phone that he used wasn't his, or supposedly used wasn't his, and it actually belonged to a lady called, um, well, her name isn't given here. 
But she was arrested in November 2012 and charged with blasphemy. And she died with hepatitis C. But he is still in prison. Even though he didn't do it, it wasn't his phone. And so we're asked to pray for justice. And I don't know how you feel whenever you hear those kind of stories, but you sense, I think, within yourself, isn't it, that there is a basic human desire for justice. And I suppose what I'm trying to get us to think about is that that shouldn't really surprise us. And why not? Because we're created in the image of God, and God is just. He will bring about justice when he returns. That's what the Bible tells us. We're created in his image, and we have his desires. And the Bible is very clear, and you can read that in the book that we talked about as well, uh, that God... um, that the innocent should, should be acquitted and the guilty should be punished. That was the job of the judges in the Old Testament. It was to reflect the character of God. And we're actually told in Proverbs 17, a fascinating little verse, where we're told that God detests the opposite. He detests acquitting the guilty. And he detests condemning the innocent. And that's a problem, isn't it? The problem for us is guilt and justice. So since the fall, all of us experience guilt. We know that we've done wrong to each other. We know that we experience guilt before God. We have inherited that sinful nature, and we've chosen to follow it. We declare autonomy with God, and we see that more and more, don't we, in our, in our world, uh, as the world, I think, progressively seems to turn away from God, particularly in our Western culture. So we fight him on sexual expression. We fight him on what's important. We fight him even on gender. We put other things before him like family and sport and wealth and material things. Even though everything that God has given us is from him, he gives us our talents and our gifts and our opportunities. So that what the Bible says, as we've already read, is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's our problem. God's problem is justice. Because he's just. He cannot acquit the guilty. They must be punished. We've already established that by other texts. And so the Bible is clear that the seriousness of sin against God is the fact that he will be just and punish us for our sin. So we can go back to Genesis. And when Adam and Eve were told not to eat of that particular tree, they were told that they would die as a punishment. And of course, Paul summarizes it for us, and we know it well, don't we, in a classic summary statement that the wages of sin is death. So justice requires a fair punishment, and it is an expression of the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about that, folks, but that's what chapter 1 and chapter 2 of uh, Romans have been saying. And so in chapter 2 and verse 5, We read these words, but because of the stubbornness of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when he comes again, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So we're in the courtroom. We have a big problem of guilt and God has a big problem of justice. And when he speaks having viewed our lives and found us guilty and in keeping with his character 
What does he say to us? And that's where the importance of these verses come in. Because he says, but now. He says there's, there is not, you do not have to be punished. There is an escape. There is a way out of this. And if you imagine yourself in the courtroom and the judge speaking, he gives a verdict that is totally unexpected because of the cross. He tells us that there is righteousness from God. In verses 21 and 22. And he says that there's justification for the sinner in verses 24 following. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So how does that righteousness and justification come? We see that in verse 25. Folks, I'm quite aware that this, by the way, and I should have said this at the start, is that I know that this is quite intellectual in a sense, and I hope that you'll stay with me um, and, and work through this, because it's important that we grasp this um, and the point. I think there's another bit to add to that, a righteousness from God. So how does that righteousness come? Well, look at verse 25. In case we're in any doubt, it comes because God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Literally a propitiation, literally a turning aside of his wrath, and you can see that in your footnote. And why does that righteousness and justification come? Well, again, verse 25, because of he demonstrated his justice, the second half of it. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And if you didn't get it, I was amazed at this in verse 26. If you don't think it's about justice, read verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So it's about justice. And so what happened at the cross? And what the cross achieved for us was the satisfaction of the justice of God. We've looked carefully, haven't we, in our previous talks about Jesus as our substitute. We've looked about him in his suffering, physical, emotional, and spiritual pain, so that we wouldn't have to. And the punishment of Jesus on the cross provides justice for our sin. God chose to be punished for our sins, so we wouldn't have to. And literally, the cross of Jesus provides an escape from punishment and a declaration of the justice of God. But now, there's a righteousness from God, there's justice from God, justification. And that wonderful offer, folks, is given to all those who have faith in the work, God's work on the cross through Jesus. It's appropriated, as it says, through his blood, through his death on the cross. And if you don't believe that, well, look, verse 27 and, and onwards. In fact, from I think uh, verse 25 onwards. Faith is mentioned seven times in seven verses. And Marcus Nodder in his book says that faith is simply to come with empty hands and receive this gift with thanks. Folks, I, I suppose I just simply leave that with you. That's as simply as I can put this amazing offer that God has given us. And, and, and I want to say to you, folks, that, that there is nothing that we need more than to know the security that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know that he was punished, that he took the wrath of God so that we 
would be justified and have the righteousness of God. It is an amazing achievement on the cross and it is appropriated by faith. And then we move on. Let's see the next bit. I think we've got a bit here. Well, we'll leave that for a moment or two. I want to talk to you a little bit about the righteousness from God. And I want to take you back to Ballycastle, um, which is my hometown in Northern Ireland. And uh, I was quite young when I became a Christian. And I believed that Jesus had died for me and I asked him to forgive me and to come into my life. I, I kind of remember it. I, I still remember we had a, a Niagara range and I remember coming back and for some reason I wanted to be good. I wanted to be good for my mother. I wanted to do what she told me and I thought, this is very strange, but I do want to do this. Do you know, it, it was a change. I, I did know there was a change. But I very quickly, within a week, realized that that was a change that I could not maintain. And I began to wonder, had I changed at all? And being the kind of character that I am, even as a young boy, my doubts were quite intense. And for years I struggled to believe that I was even a Christian. And remember talking to people about, was I really a Christian or not? You see, I thought that having Jesus would make me very different. I thought that somehow having, having him in my life would make me instantaneously and completely different. And 40 years later, and I'm older than 40, but 40 years later, a plus, I put a plus here, 40 plus years later, folks, I realize that so much more change is needed. So what happened? What specifically does it mean in verses 21 and 22? to receive this righteousness from God apart from law that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we have the righteousness of Jesus but still remain sinful? You see, we can be tempted to think that we're now so full of Jesus' righteousness that he has just poured himself into us and that we're completely changed in that sense, that we will live our lives without sin. We need to know that we do not receive Christ's moral qualities in justification. We do not become, as it were, like Jesus at that moment without sin. But what it does do for us is that we allow him to accept the legal consequences for our sin. He accepts the punishment that we should have had. He accepts the wrath of God on our behalf. And what he gives us is not his righteous character and conduct but rather a righteous standing before God. So to use the Bible image, we are clothed with Christ. And God, when he looks at us, sees Christ and our legal standing of being declared righteous. That is what a righteousness from God means. And it's real. And it's secure. One of the verses in the book is about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, and that means, by the way, that Christ did not become, as it were, sinful. He still had that moral purity, but he took the consequences of our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason I labor this is because I've been in discussion with some who have raised questions about this. Does God only pronounce us righteous? Does he actually make us righteous? 
and not actually righteous? Does his cloak of righteousness hide our sinfulness? The reformers used a Latin phrase that meant simultaneously righteous and a sinner. Is then justification not simply a legal hoax, a phony transaction that leaves you unchanged? Questions that are asked in Marcus Nodder's book. Good questions indeed. So what answer do we give to these questions? Well, I think the answer to these questions is that we must actually hold a much broader view of salvation. Salvation is a comprehensive word, and justification is one way to describe what happens in our salvation. It is true, it is right, it is good, it is central, but it is only one way. Because salvation is so deep, so mysterious, so wonderful, that it needs other ways to explain it as well. What we're not good at, of course, is holding all of these together at one time. So we need the pictures of redemption. We need the pictures of atonement. We need the pictures of recreation. We need the pictures of rebirth. Not just because they're pictures, but because of their reality at the same time. And we need to hold them alongside justification as well. We cannot separate these. We must hold them together. We must have the justifying work of the Son. And we must have the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. That is what happened when I became a Christian. It's what happened when you became a Christian as well. I put this book up as well, just to take a breather in a way, because the little book that you have, the Marcus Nodder book, does not really fully explain these things if they are a problem to you. And so this is a fantastic book, in my opinion, about what uh, all of these bigger issues are about. Um, and I reread some of it for this talk as well. And I, but I couldn't read it all because it's, it's, it's quite a big book um, and it looks at all of these issues. But if you want to look at it online or dip into it, and certainly it would be a fantastic reference book as well. So, because the cross is a deep issue. The cross is so big and important and ultimately a mystery that we need to think about it more fully. So in Jesus, we are declared righteous and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And uh, in the book, you can read uh, short summaries of redemption and atonement in Marcus Nodder's book. I'm not going to do that today. However, to more fully understand salvation uh, and to know, we must know these, all of these, and hold them together. Sorry, as I've already said. So let's go on again. There's another slide, I think, here. Now, to take a break, I go, yeah. So somebody can tell me who, just tell me who you think these people are, first of all. Okay, very, very good. Malala Yousafzai. Okay, who else have we got? John Hume and David Trimble. Okay, that's the bottom corner. Al Gore, yes, top corner. And you probably won't get this one. So it's Dennis Muwege. What have they got in common? Nobel. Nobel Peace Prize winners, that's right. John Hume and David Trimble, believe it or not, in 1998 for their work in the peace process in Northern Ireland. Al Gore in 2007 for his work on climate change and uh, economics and things like that, I think. Mala Yousafzai, 
in 2014 for her work on education, uh, particularly in uh, uh, Muslim countries. And Dennis Mowegi got his in 2018 uh, for his work as a doctor uh, in women's violence and uh, in those kind of areas as well. So peace prizes. But if you read Marcus Nodder's book, he actually says that God should get the peace prize. Let's see the next slide then. Yeah, next one. Yeah, peace with God. So he's really saying what happens... What does the cross achieve? We, we've said that cross achieves justification. In other words, we're declared righteous. But what happens, and if you flick over in your Bibles to chapter 5, and again, I want you to see that even though we've dipped into chapter 3, we're actually in the middle of a huge argument that Paul is, is taking from chapter 1 through to chapter 8 about what the gospel is and what the gospel achieves. So in chapter 5, we see... Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a nice song, isn't it? (laughs) So, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be apparent, shouldn't it? Because the peace with God comes because his wrath has been satisfied. Justice has been done. And we stand in grace. And chapter 8 tells us without condemnation. It's an amazing reality. And another way that we can look at this is if you go back in the book, you'll remember that we looked at Isaiah 53. And again, I was fascinated by that whole idea of Jesus as the warrior. Do you remember that at the end of Isaiah 53? And the warrior divides the spoils of war. And the picture is that the war is over. The enemies are defeated. And it's Paul who picks up those images again, doesn't he, in the book of Colossians, where he speaks about Jesus triumphing over them, that's Satan and his cohorts, by the cross. So the victory is won. The warrior has won his battle. And he distributes peace to those who are his because they can no longer be attacked. And thirdly, the giving of the Holy Spirit is the means of making the reality of God's grace towards us. That's what was missing, as it were, in my understanding as a boy. What was the effect of the Holy Spirit coming to me? It wasn't justification in a sense that made me able to live a good life. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace. And so we begin to see more and more of that in our lives because we're able to receive the Holy Spirit because we're no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer his enemies and we're welcomed as it were, into his family, as we'll see in a moment. So, folks, this is a real incredible blessing. And I think we don't know it enough. and We don't cultivate it enough. And I suppose I've been conscious of that as I've listened to lots of my non-Christian friends and how non-peaceful they are about the future, about their own lives, about everything, but we have peace with God. 
It is an amazing achievement of the cross. And therefore it gives us access to the next blessing, which is, if we have it there, and I just put this picture up, maybe not the best picture, but it's a picture of adoption, a father with a child, um, and yeah, it could be any father with any child. But in, in this reality, it's, it's God, isn't it? So Paul, having set out the truth of what the cross achieved, wonderfully climaxes his argument, doesn't he, with the magnificent chapter 8 of Romans. And it's the greatest blessing that we receive is the Spirit of God and the sonship of adoption. And we can call God our Father. And we can call God Abba. And we can call God Dad. And if you read your book, you'll find a quote from J.I. Packer that says, in his classic book, Knowing God, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even after, even higher, higher even than justification. To be right with God, the judge is a great thing. To be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. It is an amazing reality. And so he goes on to say in knowing God, I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Say it over and over to yourself. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free and ask, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who is utterly and completely true. This is the secret of a God-honoring. Folks, we embark in Holy Week, and we will, you know, I hope that we will make this a priority because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. And he longs for us to be his children and to know that love and to walk with him. So what did the cross achieve? Justice and freedom from guilt and righteousness from God so that we could have peace with God and become his sons by adoption and call him Father. Let's pray. Father, I am conscious that as we look at this magnificent letter to the Roman church, that in a sense we, we don't go deep enough into it and we don't consider it enough. And Father, I, I pray that you will take these weak words and these weak descriptions of these amazing terms like justification and righteousness from God and imputation and all of those words, Father, and that, Father, that you will truly drive them into our hearts. And, Father, that we will never doubt, never doubt the love of God for us. And that, Father, though I know that many lives are difficult and that we face many challenges in this world, 
that, Lord, that you are for us and not against us, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we don't say that, of course, because we're good. We say that because Christ has died for us. We say it because Christ has gone on this journey to Jerusalem because he loved us. And, Father, in all of this, we see your perfect balance of love and justice. We see that you did not, as it were, wipe our sins under the carpet and pretend that they were not there. You dealt with them in yourself, in that mystery that is beyond mysteries, really, of the Father and the Son being one and yet one punishing the other. What does that really mean? And Father, I pray that we will understand deep in our hearts again this amazing picture of the curtain torn in two and of us being able to walk into the presence of God because there is no longer any condemnation, there is no wrath, we are at peace. And Father, we are welcomed by the Father opening his arms and pulling us into himself and calling us his child. Father, it is wonderful. It's brilliant. It is life-changing, and it is eternal. And I pray that the truth of it will truly grasp our hearts and our minds, and that we will live and serve him today and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, let us worship God as we give our offering to him now. I'm up next because I can say merci et bravo. (laughs) Um, And now to turn to another language completely, uh, that of Spain. Um, Alan's not up at the front, but of course he prepared the PowerPoint without which I could not speak. Um, On to the next one. There's there's probably a mechanical thing here, but I don't do these. So Spain, as you see, um, is a very large country in the south of Europe. And it is the country, and I think of it this week in particular, Spain is, is the country of the Inquisition. And remnants of the Inquisition are very much still with us. And this week will um, be celebrated in many of the southern cities, in particular of Spain, the processions of Holy Week. And you can Google them and find out what they're about. Um, Mary, a statues of Mary, are processed down through the streets. Great colour. And the penitents are hooded and have whips. Um, it goes back centuries and centuries. But this is a country that was closed to all but one expression of Christianity until 1975 and the death of Franco. And I remember when I was a student and when I was a teacher of Spanish visiting Spain, and you couldn't find... You, the only way of finding out when a church service that you would like to go to was on was by asking in some of the... Uh, like the, We knew there was an SU bookshop in uh, Barcelona, and so I went along there and asked, and we were able to link up with um, Spanish church in that way. Of course, um, all these years later... With the aviation industry, and could you believe it, the package tour industry, there are now in Spain uh, hundreds of thousands of English-speaking expats. And with them has come many denominations of Christian believers. And especially, and you can go to the second one, especially right in the very far south of Spain, around Malaga, 
and Malaga is where we fly into. So Costa del Sol East is on this side of Malaga, and we're Costa del Sol West, which is down towards Africa. So where we are is about in the middle of this picture. It's a place called Estepona, and for different reasons that it would take a long time to explain, Alan and I found ourselves there having taken early retirement and not knowing that there was but one English-speaking church along that stretch, and that's the Anglican chaplaincy of the Costa del Sol West. It has two um, congregations, one in San Pedro, which you should be, if you can see it, it's up towards the top of that map, and another one in Soto Grande, which Soto Grande is so small it's not marked, but it's right beside Valderrama Golf Club if you're into golf. And um, we're right in the middle. So we could have gone either up to San Pedro or down to Soto Grande, and the reason we chose to go to Soto Grande was that it was Anglican one week and Methodist the other week. And the Methodists are the Methodist preachers are supplied from Gibraltar, and you can see where Gibraltar is there. Of course, no, on no map of Spain will you see the word Gibraltar. Um, for various political reasons, it doesn't actually appear, and, and you're actually there before there's a sign. A huge big rock, I suppose you all know what Gibraltar looks like. So Gibraltar is that little point which is pointing down towards Africa. So there's a strong Methodist witness there, and they send up their local preachers to us. So we chose to go to Soto Grande rather than to San Pedro, which is um, Anglican every week. Um, I think we can go on to the next picture. That's just, it, this sounds wonderful, but <laughs> the top clouds are clouds. The bottom bit along the horizon is Africa. And at this time of the year, January, February, March, from the rooftop of our apartment, which is, which is where that was taken from, we can see Africa. And I often think of the immigrants on the other side who can see the lights of Spain. There are no lights along that part, but they can see the lights of Spain and the lights of Europe. And you probably know that although most of the immigration issues in the Mediterranean are over towards Malta and uh, Greece and Italy, there are immigrants who also come over the Straits of Gibraltar, which is very narrow. It's only about nine miles. So, yeah, 15 kilometres, I think it is. Um, the next one. Please. So th this is the church in Soto Grande, a really grand uh, church. We rent it from the Catholic authorities. Um, because it's so big and there's no heating, so it's freezing in winter and roasting in summer. Um, but um, it, it's really too big for what we need because we're a smallish congregation, but still um, we don't have to mind we don't have to mind the building, which is great. You just rent it. So a typical Sunday for us. Um, would be that we uh, we leave home for the morning service at uh, 12 noon and we go in time for the prayer meeting beforehand. We might be involved with teas and coffees afterwards, which means we have to set up with that. Um, that we help with the Bible readings. There are always three readings on a Sunday, whether it's Methodist or Anglican. Both of us do the prayers of intercession. We sometimes do prayer ministry. That's not every Sunday like here, but less regularly. Um, because Alan's Presbyterian elder, then he was invited to help with serving the wine. Um, he sometimes plays um, for the service when they're absolutely stuck and don't have anybody else, uh, which is the way he prefers it. And, and, and we stand up at the front and try to sing along with a little group of singers to lead the worship. I wouldn't call them a choir. Um, but anyway, um, those are the types of things 
that, uh, that we're involved in on Sunday morning, whether it's Anglican or Methodist. And it means we don't get home for lunch until about half two, and certainly if we're on teas and coffees, three o'clock. So a lot of Sunday has gone. But it's a great meeting place. It's a so, there's a social side to the church, um, and we find that unexpected and very welcoming. However, if you um, just remember in your mind, rather than go back to the, the previous map, because we're in the middle of the two between the two churches. And I shall find about 40 or 50 people live within a three-mile radius of where we are. And there was a history there of um, alpha courses being done and so and, and, reach out, and outreaches in the local area. And Alan and I have tried to build on that by um, running, I suppose, with a couple of others, the Friday midweek. And if you want to go on to the next... Um, slide. It takes place in the house of Liz, the lady in the centre at the back with the black and white blouse. And Liz um, is Scottish and she's, uh, she just came to Soda Grande last year and opened her house immediately if we wanted to use it for anything. And that was a real answer to prayer because the previous hosts had had to return for health reasons to the United Kingdom. So even in that picture, um, you have somebody on the left, who is English, Liz is Scottish, next one's English, 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 then Lou is American, Hans is Swedish, and the lady in front of him, Leslie, is South African, married to an Englishman. You can go to the next picture, so they're, they're all working very hard. Of course, you see the sun is always shining, the skies are blue, and it's nice to be able to sit out in the patio. So um, we do a DVD-based uh, midweek meeting, but um, it's not very easy to get good material um, for such a mix of people, a mix of backgrounds, some are Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, Presbyterian, maybe nothing. Um, and, and so very often we just write the stuff for the first half of the meeting and, and we try to keep it Bible-based. So I would like you to pray as we go back in a couple of weeks now um, for the May-June sessions of this midweek, which I call Frontline. And Winnie sends out little bulletins for me um, on a Tuesday or Wednesday in the week. So if you, if you don't receive those, ask Winnie, and uh, that way you will be able to keep up to date with the particular issues from time to time. And if we go on to the next slide, I would like you to pray particularly for one couple, and that's Rosie in the wheelchair. I don't, you, you can see she's in the wheelchair there, and Mick, her husband, who's sitting on the sofa. Um, Rosie lost her leg like from here down, and um, she was visited um, very faithfully by David Russell, a Methodist local preacher from Gibraltar over many years. And just in the last year or so, it has been possible to, um, first of all, give her a lift to church. Uh, we can get her into the car in the wheelchair into the wood. And we can have her at the front line because this house has disabled entry. Um, and although it's complicated just getting her there, this is working. And Rosie has really not been able to attend anything for years and years and years. And um, as you can see, there's a smile on her face. And if you look at the next slide, she was working diligently away on the Bible study as well. So please pray for Rosie. Mick is um, beginning to show signs of dementia. And um, that's very, very, it's a very difficult for this, for this couple. So please pray for them and as we continue to try to minister to them and, and many others. There are two other families at least who have lost 
sons to alcoholism, sons in their 50s. And, and, and this, this is quite common. And there are quite a lot of people who, are, who have been alcoholic in their, in their own past. But, um, so could you remember those families? It's very varied what uh, we're involved in. Um, I mean, neither of us has any particular training in anything. We were both teachers of other things. Um, but God has led us simply to do whatever is needed to be done out there. So it could be running people to church, running people to hospital, or just just meeting for coffee, as we all do on a Tuesday morning in the little town of Sabi. Um, so please pray for Frontline. And then I think the last, um, that's inside sort of Grandi Church. What it is good for is concerts. And uh, we have held two big sings, and in another little church, a little sing, along with New Irish Choir and Orchestra that you know I'm involved with, most of you know that I'm involved with. And we have penciled in for October the 19th of this year a fourth big sing in which we invite um, local choirs and anybody who wants to sing, even if they're not very good singers. Jonathan Ray comes out, does a workshop, and we do a concert in the evening and they, they bring some of their musicians with them. And this is, this is again... Um, Bible-based um, workshop and how to how to sing to God, even if you're not a great singer, uh, and how to minister through song rather than word. So pray for that. It's not completely set up yet. The date is 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 there, but Jonathan has not yet confirmed um, so that I can book the flights and things like that. So lots to pray for for Spain um, while we're gone in the, uh, for another two months, and then we'll be back again in the summer okay to get my ducks in order here because um, I'm also doing the prayers of intercession so um, as we turn then to pray for God's word we just ask that um, God will hear us as we pray to him let us pray loving heavenly father we come before you this morning to pray for others here and across the world because Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. At the cross, Jesus redeemed not just people but the entire creation and so we look forward at the end of this age to a new he heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, we lift this still imperfect creation to you. We thank you for those who witness faithfully in dark places where Christians are persecuted. For organisations like Open Doors and Church in Chains, which keep the wider church informed and encouraged to pray. Lord Jesus, stand with those in prison and their families and speed their liberation. Comfort those tortured, tested, and discriminated against for your name's sake, and challenge us in our complacency about our witness in a free society. So be with us in our outreach this Holy Week, as hot cross buns and refreshments are served to those who pass the doors of this church, and may many be challenged and may we be bold to speak. We pray for Karen and Ramon in Mexico, for their counselling ministry by day, for the night classes running for six weeks, and for their combined visit 
to the large conference event in Mathatlan in May that all their financial needs and those of their students wishing to attend will be met. We pray for Mervyn and Ryan McCullough in London, thanking you that Ryan is settling in well in another culture unfamiliar to her and asking that Mervyn and the other directors of Christian Aid UK will lead that organisation in the direction you want it to go, tackling the root causes of poverty and equality, while also responding to the most urgent needs of the poorest across the world. We remember two immigrant situations, whether close to home, with refugees from sub-Saharan Africa and war-torn Syria massing on Europe's borders, or further afield, where Central Americans converge on the US-Mexican border, or the displaced Rohingya people expelled from Myanmar are currently camping in Bangladesh. We pray for all organisations seeking to bring help and relief, and particularly Christian people on the ground who are ministering in your name. We pray for the ongoing Brexit model affecting especially us here, Ireland, North and South, the UK, Spain and Gibraltar in different ways. Lord, what is needed is statesmanship and level-headedness and direction which you alone can give. We do not forget to thank you for peace in Europe since 1945 and for, for the anniversary this week and the outcome of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement which has enabled peace, too, along the Irish border. We ask that in your mercy, you will restrain those with violent tendencies, discriminatory practices, and hate or lack of charity in their hearts from holding sway in any part of Europe. Within our own congregation and in our own families and circle of friends, we know of many who need your special touch this morning, and we name them now before you in the silence. We particularly ask you to continue to uphold Annie and to be close to all those who are ill and their carers. Comfort those who grieve the loss of loved ones, particularly Jenny Reed on the loss of John, and also Sheila, Hedy, Jack and Bobby, and the wider family who mourn his passing this morning. John was a long-standing member of this congregation and an invaluable member of committee. As we remember him and give thanks for his life, we acknowledge his enormous contribution to the rebuilding project and his many years of service here and within the wider Presbyterian Church. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We pray that in all aspects of our church life, your kingdom will come fully to our world and to all of us, your creatures, Lord. And so we pray, commending all to God the Father, through the atoning work of God the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Now, folks, we conclude by singing In Christ Alone. And again, I, I do want us just to think about the words as we sing them. I know that sometimes we've sung this song to death, and uh, it just feels as if it, it means nothing anymore. But the words are great, the tune is good, and let's really, in light of what we've heard, uh, really express our confidence and our hope and our joy in these, uh, this great truth. In Christ alone, my hope is fine. So let's stand to sing. <clears throat> Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.